This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome Talking Halos is our Sunday night edition and we have reason to celebrate. The Angels won a series. Woohoo! They won a series. We are here with John Crane and Jared Timms. I'll start with John. How you doing, man? I celebrated by going to the happiest place on earth this morning, uh, Disneyland for several hours. Uh, so I'm I'm a little sunned. I'm a little tired. Uh, yeah, uh, and happy. I get happy. We won. We won the series at this point. I guess you know we got to celebrate what little victories we have this year. Well, it's still two out of three. Come on now, be be a little happy. Yeah, and and I think you predicted <laughs> it. You and Sox Machine guy predicted it. No, I went the wrong way. Two out of three for the White Sox. I thought they'd take the series. I was wrong. Right. I'll take right. being wrong. I'm cool with being wrong. <laughs> I'm totally cool being wrong. Jared, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, like you said, you know, it's uh, good to uh, win a series. And, um, yeah, you know, if, if football, too. Uh, we got some football on, so uh, there's that, too. Well, hold on. Who, who, who's your football team? We, we never asked this question. <laughs> you know, I, I'm a, I just like fantasy football, you know. Um, so it's, it's one of those things. I don't have a team in particular, but, uh, you know, fantasy football. Go fantasy football. My t- one of my teams is uh, winning. One of my teams is losing. Oh, that makes you. My God. Fan- fantasy football makes you a fan of every everybody. That's kind of the nice part. And and today, I think the, the uh, Cleveland Browns showed us why uh, Derek is a Rams fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm not over this whole. Jared's kind of like, oh, crap, I'm in trouble now. He's there's. There's no football. To, just, just fancy. What? What the crap, man? Not a Rams fan? Are you serious? You're dare going to come on Gridiron Media, one of their podcasts, talking halos, but not be a Rams fan? Have you lost your bloody mind? No, oh, I, 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 I like the Rams. I like the Rams. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if it, it would be so much easier if there was a team in Anaheim or, the, you know, the Rams were been here my whole life. But it's just it's one of those things. I mean, I love golf. I love Gurley. They they played a great. I watched the whole game today. They they played a you know a pretty good game today. But 
You know, I, I just I don't have it. I don't have a true team to my heart. I mean, everybody's gonna hate me. I like I love Brady. I love Tom Brady. He's he's the goat. He's he's oh the man. But gosh. you know, exactly. I know everybody's gonna hate me. I know. Don't even uh, Jim, get me. You started off. Let, oh my god. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. I I, I never said I was a Rams fan, and I lean in. I lean in uh, Jared's uh, camp there. I do. I love Brady. I, I mean, how can you not love a guy who wins six championships and is married to a woman who makes more money than him? <laughs> I mean, the guy is a. Um, uh, two of those championships came, came against the Rams, and then they go out there and get AB. No, okay. Well, let's go to baseball here because you guys are just going to just absolutely depress me. I'm going to be a sad panda <laughs> until Jeff Ellis comes on. Well, yeah. In all actuality, I get it, though. The Rams have only been back for a couple years. They still have a way to go to kind of earn the uh, earn the love of the fan base out there. You know, it's a transient town. It's a town that's distracted. You've mentioned it, John. How many things you are involved with? I've seen you go to concerts. Obviously, the baseball games. You're a Clippers fan, which I, you know that's another story. And then, Jared, you're involved in all kinds of baseball things, and you have your own job. And and uh, you know, school. There's just so many different things to distract somebody. That in California, especially, they have to earn. They have to earn your business. They have to earn your trust. And we can flip that back to the Angels because this is heaven forbid an Angels podcast. In after this season, and so many different people starting to question the Angels and their direction. That's a that's a very fair thing to talk about. Is have the angels earned your trust? And there's one guy I think that has earned our trust overall, knowing he'll he'll perform no matter what. And his name is Mike Trout, and he missed pretty much this entire series this weekend. We want to get there. We want to talk about Brian Goodwin and Shohei Otani, and then later on, Locked On Indians. Jeff Ellis will visit the show. He'll preview the Indians series with us, and, and then we have some questions about the Indians and how they built that. That my, that minor system out there, they've done a great job with it. And um, what can the Angels do to emulate that? All right. Before we do, we just wanted to just say, hey, you know, we have been around now for four and a half months. We're a younger podcast. We work hard. We we bring in uh, good talent like Jared Timms, even though he's not a Rams fan. And we hopefully are bringing you good shows. We've been getting lots of good feedback of late about the shows we put out there. If you think we're doing a great job, we would really appreciate a five-star review over at Apple Music. And if you want us to earn that feedback, earn that five-star review, that's great, too. Email us at talkinghalos at gmail.com. Give us your feedback. And if you have any new listener and you're listening to the show, do us a solid, please. Absolutely. Text a fellow Angels fan and let them know about our podcast. The best compliment we can ever get is to know that word about us is spreading word to mouth. That means you actually tuned in, you like the show, and you want to share it with somebody that you care about. So, there you go. We'd ask you to do that. All right, you guys ready? Ready. It was kind of an awkward silence for a moment there. Like, you guys were just not sure if I was going to stop talking. I did. All right, I'm going to... I want to hit this right away. And I titled this episode, Should We Be Concerned About Mike Trout's Right Toe? And basically, let's just be honest. I only titled it that way because I'm not sure what else, really, at this point... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to try and tell these things because the season's now become a bit monotonous. The Angels are struggling. They're struggling with pitching. They're struggling hitting. They're, and really, they're just so inconsistent across the board that we're, you know, we can start retracing some of these old stories over and over again while we're waiting for the, the offseason to get here. So, coming off the Justin Upton injury, the toe injury. Now here we have Mike Trout's right toe. 
mysteriously on Friday. They pull him out of the game. He makes a cameo appearance last night, and then they pull him out of the lineup tonight. And uh, here's the weird thing, guys. Like, there's, like, no news reports out there on it. You go on Twitter, and you search Mike Trout injury. There's four or five highlighted tweets about it. And then they don't talk about it anymore. It's kind of weird. But yet, it's bugging them. And apparently hasn't bugging them for a while. So I'm going to start with Jared. Jared, should the Angels, should the fans be concerned about Mike Trout's right toe? I mean, you look at what um, the uh, what the up the Upton injury early in the season, and yeah, you know, I, I definitely think that they should be a little bit concerned. I mean, it cost them basically what half the year, so yeah, I do think that they should be slightly worried. Um, the fact that he got a pinch hit, um, I, did, I mean, and I put this in air quotes, a pinch hit because he just came in and decided to walk to first base, and then they took him out. <laughs> Um, so yes, he got to pinch it, which was good, but you know, he, I, I don't think we really know the, ex- we won't know the extent. Um, and I don't know if we ever will know the extent of this injury, um, just because how secretive and quiet the angels are about all this stuff. And I think, you know, you never know, he might be in the lineup, uh, tomorrow night against uh, the Indians. So, but yeah, I do think there's a little bit of worry if it is that turf toe or whatever it might be. Um, or if it's been a lingering injury, yeah, definitely something to be um, concerned about. But for now, since he made his, like you said, cameo appearance in Chicago for the pinch hit, I'm, I'm not too worried for the time being. The only thing I'm worried about is whether this is going to hinder him in any way in getting 50 home runs, which is kind of one of the big the big things we're playing it for at this point. Um, I think it's just, I think at the point of the season we're at, I think they're being cautious. Uh and I'm not really that concerned. Like I said, the only thing, if it hurts his playtime, and, 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 but 50 home runs is going to be a big win for Angels fans if he, if he can do that. And uh, so that's my only concern. I think he'll be fine. We're almost at the end of the season. If he was seriously hurt, I don't think they would even have brought him out for that pinch hit, which, like I said, turned into an, an intentional walk. He just walked to first base and got pulled. So I'm not worried. The thing about turf toe, and again, this is all conjecture. This is all speculation because why not? The thing about turf toe is it will linger. It will be a nuisance, and in some cases, it will be a nuisance for a long time. I have not been cons- I have not been convinced at all that Justin Upton's toe was fine. I've been, you know, he's not moving the same. His stance is he doesn't he doesn't seem right. And although he's coming around of late in terms of his power, he is still making contact, and he definitely overall is playing better there's still that concern of what can it can do to you for a longer period of time. Turf toe is no joke, especially in the, in the hitting box. Part of how you hit a baseball, a major part of that is your stance and how you turn on a baseball. And so I would be concerned a little bit, and this is the reason why it's not a new injury. It's been bugging him for a while, apparently. And that's the concern for me. When you have an injury that bugs you for a while, this lingering, that means... The standard everyday procedures that get you better aren't working the way you'd like. So it bears watching. I just find it mischievous. I find it a little bit odd that there's not even a whole bunch of news articles about it. And for a guy who's chasing these home runs and the AL MVP to just not be in a game and there not be major news on it, it's, it's a little weird to me. It's definitely a little weird. Isn't that what Trout wants, though? He doesn't want to be in the news, right? I mean, I mean, just hypothetically stating, he, he doesn't really want to be in the news like that. So that might also be why we're not hearing too much about it. You know, I mean, it, it, he could just not want it in the news till 
tell the guys, hey, keep it kind of on the down low. It's probably not that serious. Don't don't even need to worry about it, you know? Well, I wouldn't see the Angels making a big deal. I wouldn't see Mike making a big deal. But when there's pretty much nothing else to cover about the Angels right now, then you would think their beat reporters, well, I know this is going. We have a good relationship with the Angels beat reporters. I'm not being critical out there, Maria, Jeff. All you guys are not criticizing. What I am saying is a little odd to me that there hasn't been much from them about it, unless it really is twofold. The Angels aren't telling them anything, or it's really no big deal. Basically, this is a non-story, or it's just a little mischievous. Again, late in the season, it's curious because we don't have a whole lot in terms of good things to look forward to. John? Yeah, again, you just said it. Late in the season. That's what we are. We're late in a season that is, by all accounts, over. I mean, we're just got to pl- we're just playing out the games. So again, it's not news. Nobody's reporting it. So uh, there is an expression, and I can't think of it. But you know, if there's nothing, there's nothing. You see smoke, but there's no fire. Whatever. There's, uh, there's yeah. So I don't think there's anything there. Our Maria, our Jeff would be <laughs> reporting something on it. Um, so I'm not. I'm not worried. Again, I think this is just precautionary, and I would not have sent him up to pinch hit the other day. I, unless they were knew that he was going to be intentionally walked, which I guess they could have theoretically thought that, but that's a little too chessy to me, chess gamey to me. I thought it was great. I thought the reaction there totally worked against the White Sox. So they get a guy on base for free, all because he's Mike Trout. And then the White Sox fans are ticked off at their own team because they walked him. And then he leaves and gets high fives and dugout. That was great. It was hilarious. I, I did hear the Boo Birds come out. And I was, it was, I they were booing the Angels. They were booing, yeah, they were booing their own team for doing that. I know they, they were. I know exactly what they were booing. And it was very, yeah, you know. I'm not one of those guys who, we've, we've talked about that. I'm a Clipper fan. I don't go to, to, a, to a game to watch a great player thump my team. So I'm not one of those guys who would, would be booing the team for walking him. Uh, I like seeing great players, but only if they're on the Clippers. Uh, or uh, we're beating them. So anyways, but I don't understand that, but they were booing him, and it, it did make me snicker. And you very, yeah. <laughs> Jared, do you have any thoughts, man? No, no, I, I got nothing else, you know, other than, you know, <laughs> I don't think it's anything. And, but other than that, I do thought, it, I, I thought it was very funny that that happened. I, it might have been the first time in Major League history that something like that happened. I Honestly, I can't recall a time where that's actually happened. Oh, it's happened before, but it's been a while. And it rarely ever, ever involves the Angels. You know when it happened, it used to happen a lot of Barry Bonds. And that's where the whole strategy came from. Started just intentionally walking yeah, no, the guy. I, I, yeah, I, I mean more along lines of getting pin, or coming in for a pinch hit, walking, and then being taken out of the game. Like not even seeing a pitch and just being taken out of the game. I thought, I, thought, I don't think that's really ever happened ever since the in, uh, in, unintentional, intentional oh, walk, yeah. whatever you want to call it, has come into play. I don't think that's ever happened. So I thought oh, was, yeah, that was kind of cool. I don't think any opposing players. I, I loved when they walked Barry Bonds. <laughs> I just I enjoyed it because <laughs> I I didn't like Barry Bonds and Mike Trout's not Barry Bonds. So, well, the thing with Barry Bonds too was, I mean, take whatever perceived, believed, whatever performance enhancing drug you would say he took before <laughs> before his head got big. Um, <laughs> Figuratively and literally, all right. <laughs> like, that's how people would say he was on the stuff because his his head size mm-hmm. grew. Um, man, he was always good as a pirate. He was great before he got thick. 
in terms of the muscle mass, he got he was good. And I, that's what I love about Trout too is Trout was when he came up he wasn't this big muscular guy. He took care of himself, but over time he's his body's been built up more and Nothing's really changed, though. He's still this great player that you have to recognize. The, the bad thing about Barry Bonds, though, is Barry Bonds' attitude sucks so bad most of the time that people really never actually got to enjoy how good a baseball player he was. He didn't, he didn't treat people right. His own team didn't like him. Pretty much. I mean, well, I, get, I have to go to the young bucket here. Jared, how old are you? Uh, 25. So if we're talking Barry Bonds here, it's, it's kind of out of my yeah you know, a little bit. I mean, I've, I've seen videos. I've read articles. Uh, I, I mean, I've been on his Fangraph page. I've been on his Baseball Reference page. So I know all about Barry Bonds, and he's he's the closest thing to. I mean, Mike Trout's the closest thing to Barry Bonds statistically. Um, but honestly, I I don't remember. I think I went and saw Barry Bonds one time up in San Francisco. I think that was the only time I really saw Bonds. So it's kind of uh, as bad as this sounds. It's kind of a little bit outdating me. Uh, but no, I, love no. I, I I love the stat side of Bonds. Bonds is unbelievable. Well, Jared, you, it doesn't outdate you at all in terms of you don't look bad because of it because you're, you know, where John and I are, are a bit older, you know, we're, we're the kind of the dinosaurs that remember these guys, and you're the guy, the young guy, who is going to remember the greats with that same kind of reverence when you're our age, like the current ones. You're going to remember Mike Trout and see him as a young guy, and you're going to see him in his prime. You're going to see him... He's only three years older than you. I mean, you're going to see him more as a guy. He, that's my generation right there. That was my generation. And so I can look at that and go, appreciate that. I, it's a shame you didn't get to watch him play. There were some greats of the era who, steroid enhanced or not, were a load of fun to watch. But that's what makes watching Mike Trout so special because in a lot of ways he's as good or better than those guys were. Yeah, Bonds and Bonilla in, in Pittsburgh. That was that was a that was a great combination. That was Bonds, it. and just yep. he the, he just never got over the hill. And I go back to I mean, over to the hump, over the hump, and I go back to like when Albert's uh, World Series against Texas. That was the same way that Bonds was against us in the World Series. Every we were walking him, we were walking him just about every opportunity we had. If anybody was on base, and um, but he's just such. I mean, Albert Pujols is a likable guy, um, even when he was in the same. Lewis, he's a likable guy. Uh, Barry Bonds is not a likable guy. And and as much as I enjoyed our World Series, and I have the DVD, and if you want me to loan it to you, I'll loan it to you, Jared. Because, uh, but one of the highlights of of the DVD towards the end is when the in when the uh, Angels win and they pan into the dugout, and Bonds is sitting there with the look on his face, just like because I mean they had us. It was over game game, game six. They had us. It was over. We had an amazing comeback against them, so they, we had no business playing game seven. And so it's it was a little extra, like a little cherry on top to the Angels winning. That Bonds was on the other end of that for me. Uh, call me shallow, call me whatever you want, but that's how I am. All right, so this has been a bit of an oddball podcast. So I'm going to say some oddball things and. John, this article had to come from you because it's <laughs> totally an oddball. I don't know if you saw it, Jared. Fabian Ardaya wrote this. Shohei Otani, he asked the question, why can't Shohei Otani keep his helmet on his head? Did you see the article? It's a little old. I, I, did, I did not see the article. Uh, I, I keep up with uh, Fabian's, uh, all of his you know tweets about it, but I, I have not read that article yet. It seems, it seems pretty interesting, though, I guess. <laughs> It's, it's again odd things about baseball. One of the things I love about baseball is the fact that it does get odd. Like it, it, 
weird things like why can't he keep his helmet on his head? A tweet from way back in May from Fabian Ardaya. Show you Tommy 2019, two play appearances, one RBI, two helmets lost on swings. He's lost his helmet on almost 5% of his swings this year. If I'm reading that correct. Just weird stuff in baseball. Very weird. This this stuff is like, the, the reason that came to my attention was that on social media, the fan pages and even the Twitter. I mean, people have been talking about this for for months now. It's it's very they're fascinated with it. And I guess uh, Fabian Ortayo just you know, decided to address the situation in kind of a statistical way. And anyways, I, I, I got I got to say this, though, man, that's hilarious. That that's what he's focusing on September now. The things are so gone for the season. That's where you're going. How about this, folks? Because this should have happened by now. If anybody can create a meme showing Shoyotani's helmet coming off in a funny way, okay, we'll have you on the show just to hang out with us, okay? Just just to talk baseball. And I don't know. There's got to be something else we can give away. We'll think about. It. We'll find something. John will figure something out because John's a genius. Jared, you got any ideas? I. I- yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm not. I, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> meme wise, I oh man, come up with a meme uh, on that. That'd I'm be hilarious. Good, I'm usually pretty good at creating. I'm pretty good at creating that stuff, but I got I got nothing on that. That that's that's for the fans. <laughs> it's on. I like. I like the in the article. He has he actually has a month by month month by month breakdown of helmets lost. Only May. John. May seven. I mean, yeah, but the reason this article stuck out at me, it was like this is the kind of art. This is the kind of stuff we need to talk about because what else is our other choices to talk about? The, the Angels, you know, you know, winning or losing. I mean, and yeah. So I, I, I like to find these articles. I mean, I was well, happy to find this article showing like a, a lighter side to kind of lighten things up because people they're so uptight. Oh uh, my gosh, it has know, been about this team. Well, we're getting ready here to add Jeff Ellis to the conversation here in a minute. But before we do, we do want to give a shout-out to Brian Goodwin and David Fletcher. Both of them had some really nice feature articles on them. And, you know, this is where we go over to Jared. Because, Jared, you've, you've watched these guys a little bit. You are very familiar with David Fletcher. He's going to be one of the younger guys in the staff. And what makes these two guys, especially Fletcher, so important to this team going into the future? I, I mean, you look at... Fletch just to start it off with and he's he's your prototypical role player that the Angels had a whole bunch of back in you know in between you know the World Series in 2002 all the way up to 2012 or so where they had you know those prototypical role my series tourists you know that would come in uh wouldn't do too much for you you know it wasn't wasn't going to go out there and win you games wasn't going to go out there but just did enough to you know win the hearts over of all the fans and you know what if you're on social media at all, which I mean, we're all three of us are, David Fletcher might be the most loved angel on social media. Um, I, I think, at least, uh, besides Mike Trout. I mean, um, and and then you look at Brian Goodwin, and it's just it's been such a special story. I mean, you could go look at his stats from when he was in in Washington, and you can say, you know, oh hey, if he got consistent playtime, he's probably this good, and we've seen it this year. Um, so yeah, it's both both of those players are. I think they're going to be mainstays sticking around as, um, if not starters, definitely as a role player, fourth outfielder, and um, you know, fourth, fifth infielder. Somebody like uh, Fletcher can play so many different positions, and Goodwin can play all three positions in the outfield. And uh, so, I mean, I think that the Angels are getting close to being back to their old ways of having really, really good role players that they can, you know, come up with, you know, all, all the time. And those two guys are just uh, just the beginning of it. So I. 
I, I think they're both uh, mainstays in the organization for a long time. All right. Well, it is time for us to go ahead and, and bring on Jeff Ellis from Locked On Indians. All right. Here we are with Jeff Ellis from Locked On Indians. Jeff, welcome to the show. We get a. It's going to be an interesting series for us. The Indians have absolutely, positively dominated, absolutely dominated the Angels in recent times. What has been the key part of their success against the Angels overall? To me, it's felt like it's the starting pitching. Um, you know, last time we talked, the one easiest matchup was uh, was going to be Adam Plutko, and he's been. I mean, even to me, he's been surprisingly effective. I. Uh, I did not have high expectations for him as just even being a consistent major league player, but he's looked like a solid back-end guy. Um, you know, the, the first game is Bieber, and then Pletko in the third game has been steady. Plesak, we've seen a lot of, uh, I don't want to say coming apart at the seams, we've seen him starting to get a little uh, weaker down the uh, stretch here. So, you know, that's kind of the, will be the interesting matchup. But I, I think the starting pitching is really just what's elevated them ahead of the Angels. This is John over here. I'm John Cram. I'm, I'm the one of the co-hosts. How are you, my friend? Oh, no, uh, nice to meet you. I'm quite well. So I want to ask you, how, how's Puig working out? Uh, I, I live in L.A. I'm a SoCal guy. I, I, I'm, I'm married to a Dodger fan, uh, raised a Dodger fan. She's an Angel and Dodger fan, and I'm surrounded by Dodger fans. So what's going on with Puig in Cleveland? He came in and really started to play well. He's tailed off a bit. He's actually, the, the fans have, have embraced him, and uh, there's been a lot of calls to uh, to re-sign him in this offseason. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but with a team that has uh, as tight as uh, physical constraints as the Indians, and they've got some top prospects in AAA, kind of ready to move into that outfield spot. But... Um, I wish he had stayed as hot as he was when he first arrived, but he's still playing well. Uh, he has definitely not worn out his welcome. There are people, um, a not small amount of people on Twitter advocating to not pick up Corey Kluber's option so you can use that money to uh, re-sign Yasiel Puig. He, he was very popular in, in L.A. The, the Puig uh, chant was very uh, prevalent throughout uh, Angel Stadium when they played the Dodgers and uh, and in Dodger Stadium. He's a very popular. I think he's I think he's missed. But since the Dodgers are probably on track to go back to the World Series, I don't think they're you know it's too much drama over that. I think the Indians also. I mean, the Dodgers to a degree as well but the Indians are so Latin heavy that I also think that just helps in a situation like. like the Saturday's game, he didn't run out of ground ball, and then all the stories were just like Carlos Santana talked to him, and the next day he ran out everything. So uh, it's a veteran-laden group, but I, I do think sometimes it helps, um, you know, when someone can speak your native language fluently. You, you mentioned Puig and how he's been doing out there, but got in a little bit of trouble for not running out of ball on first base. In L.A., that was a big deal with Machado last year, and for where the Indians are now, what this town is known for up in Cleveland, how is the overall reaction being in terms of you, th- you mentioned he's pretty popular up there with him not running out of baseballs it's, I mean, I, honestly with the, the Browns playing the next day, it mostly flew under the radar, he, it's just one of those things where, it, it's always interesting the whole not running out ground ball thing because it definitely seems to be played up more um kind of based on a player's personality. Like, we, we've seen just about every player not run out of ground ball here or there, but Yasiel Puig, it's the same thing when I read about, like, him as a clubhouse cancer or things like that. I sometimes wonder, 
how much is made that is just because he's already been a target. I mean, the reports from him in Cincinnati were sterling, and outside of the one issue running out of ball in Cleveland, it's, it's been great as well. So I I don't think it really affected anything too much. And again, I mean, the timing couldn't have been better for him doing that the, uh, the day before the Browns opener, and then the Browns getting shellacked, so no one's even thinking about that at this point in time. Well, yeah, he didn't uh, prevent the Dodgers from going to two World Series in a row, and he certainly wasn't a part of the reason that they lost both both series. So um, I do think perhaps the, the club uh, clubhouse cancer thing could be a little overplayed, definitely. Yeah, it, just, it feels like one of those guys where sometimes we start to pile on. This isn't like a, a Milton Bradley or someone who was a, you know, played for the Indians where he was legitimately not a very nice person. And there are those kind of characters in the game. Jared, do you have a question? Yeah, yeah, Jeff. Uh, I, I kind of want to change the pace here a little bit. The Indians were, you know, really fighting hard with the Twins there for a while, and the Twins have pulled away. Uh, you want to shed some light on, you know, do you think it, the, the Twins are just playing that well, or were the Indians just, you know, maybe slumping a little bit, or uh, what do you think uh, kind of happened there? I think it's a mix of both, and I think more than anything else, we can probably point our finger at the schedule. You know, the Twins built this huge lead beating up on the uh, AL Central. The Indians then had uh, probably the easiest two months any team could have in baseball and were able to eventually take over that uh, the division lead for a day. Then what happened is they dropped two out of three to a Red Sox team that uh, they had no business dropping two out of three from. They split a series against the Yanks, a four-game series, which is always good. Then they go to New York. For some reason, the manager decides that Fran Mill Reyes can't play in the outfield, uh, even though he played all year for the Padres in the outfield. He doesn't appear once in that series, and the Indians drop all three. The bullpen has been an issue. It was one of their strengths at the start, and it is just coming apart at the seams on, it feels like, almost a daily basis. So, I mean, there's no doubt the Twins are a phenomenal team. They're starting pitching worries me, but as we've seen with the home run record, uh, their offense is as good as anyone's. But I think it's been this combination of the schedule evening out a bit. The Indians um, having kind of a bit of a swoon that allowed the, the the Twins to get away from. And then, of course, the last weekend uh, getting swept by Tampa pretty much put the nail in the coffin for the, uh, the Indians to win the Central. So moving over to this series, though, what has changed about the Indians since these two, te- these two teams met a month ago in Cleveland? I would say the bullpen. I, I don't know if I have faith in... Tyler Clippard is probably the guy I have the most faith in that bullpen right now. When I go through and I look at like baseball savants, advanced statistics, I go and I look at FIP, and I'm looking at some of those more predictor stats. Um, Brad Hand has struggled so much. Adam Simber, he's regressing to the mean heavily, but it's very interesting because we have two years of data on him now, and he was awesome with the Padres. He comes to Cleveland, bombs in the second half. Basically, he shouldn't have even made their postseason roster unhittable in the first half and we're seeing a bombing for him in the second half uh, Nick Wetgren is one of those guys you know he's just going to fall apart when you look at the statistics he's overdue for it there's not that bullpen is so shaky that I think that is the place where the Indians are right now it's like Oliver Perez he's a really good Luby. Tyler Clippard has pitched super well Nick Goody had been solid but even he's falling apart I, it's just it's a lot of guys all at once slipping so, as, as you probably heard, we, we've been uh, Angel fans are real upset out here about uh, 
Epler, they're upset with Artie because of this uh, rebuild. And it's actually, we call it, they call it a rebuild on the fly because we're we're not miserable, uh, but we are obviously not competitive. Um, And uh, Cleveland's obviously seen its share of rebuilds. Um, It's harder for you guys because, like, and one of the big components for the Indians was trades. And, you know, you guys are trying to do that and kind of rebuild on the run so it limits your ability to, to flip assets. Uh, when it came to things with the Indians, they were able to identify what they do well, which is uh, develop pitchers and a specific type of pitcher. And those are guys who are kind of more control specialists, specifically like college arms with really low walk rates and high strikeout rates. So they're, they're, they have the ability to miss bats, and then they work with them. And somehow it feels like every college guy anymore who enters the Indian system finds three to four miles an hour. Um, the bat on the fastball, like clean up the mechanics uh, to to really streamline everything. And I, I'm yet to meet like one of these college arms who has not gained at least one mile an hour. You look at like Aaron Sabal this year and Shane Bieber being the two most recent examples. Uh, Zach Plesak was also in that draft class. So you look at those three guys. Um, I think Bieber was like a six. Sabal was a three or four, you know, round. And Plesak was an 11th or 12th rounder. The first round of that year, they, they swung and missed. That's Will Benson. I don't even consider him a prospect at this point. Um, their second rounder was Nolan Jones, who is, in my opinion, their top prospect. So it wasn't necessarily those high picks that were successful, but they were able to identify what they do well. And especially when what you do well is help develop pitching, you can just keep flipping those arms to reinvest in the system. So it's... I know that's been an, an issue for the Angels, but it, that might be the first thing they need to look at is, I know when Clevenger came in and I talked with him in AA, he just talked about the worlds of difference between Cleveland's approach to development and and the Angels in a hands-on versus a hands-off approach. And I mean, I don't know what he'd say now, but back then when you know he was not a big-name prospect, I was talking to him during his breakout year, and that was the constant takeaway. It was just that he was kind of mystified by the difference in approach. Can you can you clarify that approach a little more what he meant in terms of hands on, hands off? Well the when he came it's like he would he made it sound like the Angels gave him a binder to study, whereas the Indians were like, This is what we're gonna do, this is how we're gonna make you better, this is what we've seen. Um, he just it, it sounded like the Angels approach was not and I mean this was a while ago. I mean I believe this is even, I mean, this is pre-Epler, so I don't know how things have changed, but um, at the time, it, it was just, you know, they kind of expected pitchers to kind of develop at their own pace on their own rate, whereas when you came to Cleveland, Cleveland took him everything about him apart and just showed him very much, okay, you got to do this, this, and this, and that's why, you know, he went from the throw-in and a trade for a reliever who was already kind of washed up at that point to a potential all-star pitcher. I mean, the, the stuff was always there. The Indians were able uh, to help him get on that track, and then he works tirelessly to get better. I mean, he wouldn't be a, that at the end of that year in double-A. I thought, oh, he's going to be a four, maybe a three, but uh, the tireless work ethic is what's elevated him to a potential one. Yeah, funny, uh, funny you mentioned that, Jeff, um, with the rebuilding through pitching. Um, I, I kind of like to think of the Angels kind of rebuilding like the Cubs did 
um, we're going with offense. And I mean, it's funny that, you know, both these are adding up because the Cubs and Indians, you know, they met in the World Series and, you know, the Indians, as we saw, you know, they had the great, you know, bullpen. They had the great um, rotation. And then, you know, uh, they built the offense around it. You know, they obviously they had some guys um, already in there. But then, you know, the Cubs, on the other hand, you know, they, they probably a little bit more drafted around the offense and then went out and kind of got pitching. So, you know, it's uh, interesting that you kind of brought that up. I figured I'd kind of point that out. Yeah, the Cubs are interesting because they built that strong base and um, since then have really struggled to draft and develop so we haven't seen as much I mean they traded away so much of it but they had a lot of flame outs also in their drafting but they did when they had all of those high picks um, it was very much a type it was the the advanced college hitter um, that's the Ian Happ the Kyle uh, Schwarber I'm trying to think uh, who they drafted the year uh, Chris Bryant uh, and then, you know, the, the guys they inherited, even Baez and uh, Almora, were uh, the prep hitters. That was kind of the previous regime, but still just all first-round picks on bats, which the Indians honestly did as well um, until the last two years. And I don't know if that's just a change from top to bottom with the Indians or some of their issues with those first-round picks in development. They've had, uh, I mentioned Will Benson, Quinton Holmes wasn't a first rounder, but he was their first pick that year, and he's having about as brutal of a season as I've seen for uh, a high pick in low A. So yeah, it's uh, I know with the Indians' case here, you know, they've completely flipped their script in the last two years, and are just they're putting it all into arms. So keeping with the farm system, though, how does a market size, how does the market size and budget play a role in a rebuild, especially since Cleveland is a smaller market overall for baseball? Uh, I mean it's. It's a have to instead of a. Uh, I've always said it, it basically limits your margins for error. You know, if you're the New York Yankees, uh, they could go out and throw a lot of money at some uh, players. And someone like Troy Tulowitzki, who they went out and acquired, I mean, he wasn't a big money thing, but they had to outbid others. And when he doesn't do anything for you, that doesn't hurt the Yankees. But investing a few million in anyone and them not being effective it hurts the Indians. And also allows a team like the Yankees to go out and get like a DJ uh, Mithu and uh, and him to be a borderline MVP. We didn't know that was going to happen, of course. But when you have the ability to make take more shots, um, you don't have to worry about your minors. And the Indians are in a place where they have to worry about the minors. And it's one of those situations where, I mean, I was quite happy to trade Trevor Bauer. Um, just because I thought there was a lot of indicators that he was going to regress heavily this year. Um, and I was very honest about that starting in the uh, the preseason all the way up to the point where they moved him. And I think that's kind of what the Indians always have to do is identify those guys, sell at peak, and just keep trying to restock. Because you go back to uh, a lot of the trades that kind of made the Indians... Um, when they traded Casey Blake, Carlos Santana was the secondary piece. When they traded um, CC Sabathia, Michael Brantley was the secondary piece. When they traded uh, Cliff Lee, Carlos Carrasco was the secondary piece. It's not for them. It's almost never the guy. It's the the big name in the deal. It's always that second or third piece down the line, and that's what they have to keep doing and restocking and hoping you're going to hit on at least one player in those situations. 
So, so Jeff, as we get back Derek's to this. Derek's a Cleveland guy, so. Derek's a Cleveland guy, so sure. this is a. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff knows that. Yeah. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's like. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so, it's, Jeff, as, so, Jeff, as we're closing out the interview here and, and getting back to the actual series at hand, how do these pitching matchups work for the series? Jeez. How do these pitching matchups work for the Indians in this series? How do you like them? Shane Bieber versus Patrick Sandoval. Plesak versus Suarez, Pluko versus Peters, and can you give us a prediction? What you think this? How you think this will go? Uh, what I've been doing lately with the Indians and pitching matchups is just looking at their side of things because it's like you look at the they just lost two out of four to the White Sox and got utterly dominated by um, Ronaldo Lopez, who I believe was entering the game. At least, yeah, entering the game, he had the first, fifth worst FIP in all of baseball. So, I don't know what to make of them. They struggled with Ivan Nova multiple times this year. Third worst fit in all of baseball. Dylan C said uh, really struggled, and he put him away. So, I, I almost ignore the other side of things. Um, it, Bieber is always going to be a strong matchup for the Indians. So, that's, that's the one I would, you know, if I'm betting, I, I'd put the most money on the Indians taking that one. Plesak is... Like I said, he's really struggling. So I think that is a game that I would lead towards the Angels in. Um, and Plutko versus Peters feels like a little bit of a toss-up. I might lean a little bit the Indians' way um, just because I, I would, when it's a toss-up, I'm going to go to the team that's had the better record this year um, overall. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe two out of three and they uh, before the Indians then go and face Minnesota again. They have to face a team with a 500 or better record every single weekend through the end of the year, which is why I'm not very bullish on this team making the postseason. Even where they are right now? Yeah, I mean, they're a game and a half back from that final spot, and they have to face the most teams with uh, above 500 records the rest of the way. And, you know, it's like Twins again next weekend. The weekend after that is Philly, who's still in the middle of the wild card hunt. Their best hope is the Nationals, who they face those final three games in Washington, have locked up the wild card and are resting starters. Because um, otherwise, it's just it's it's a brutal stretch. It's it, every weekend they have an important series. Well, gee, it feels that feels a lot like how we felt over here when we were looking at the schedule from mid-August all the way to the end. The Angels were like five or six games above five hundred, and we're like. It's not going to last. Look at the schedule. And it all fell apart. Remember that, exactly John? what I was thinking, Derek. Yeah, yeah. exactly. When he was Derek. silly, now, I was saying, boy, that sure sounds a lot like us, except a little earlier in the season where we kind of were thinking the, the plane was going to start losing uh, altitude. But at the same time, they take two out of three from the Twins. If Simber doesn't implode, they maybe sweep the Twins, and that's after they, they lose two of four. And if Oscar Mercado doesn't make a... a highlight saving catch they lose three out of four games to the Sox so that's I don't know what to make of this team sometimes it's just um, they have a lot of pieces I mean they have enough pieces to be good they have two starters that can match up with most teams it's a pretty solid um, lineup post trade it's not one of the five best it's not one of the five worst but it's it's good enough to get by the pen was such a strength though and now it's such an opposite that uh, yeah I, at the end of the day, as an Indians fan, I just look at this team and I go, 
Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco have barely pitched. They traded Bauer. I mean, they have no reason to be in this race. They have they, they shouldn't be. Um, they didn't have Lindor for the first month and a half of the year. Clavenger missed a month and a half with injury. They they really have no business even being in the wild card hunt. So um, I'm just going to enjoy the ride, and I'm hoping they'll make it. And because as we've seen in the past, anything can happen. But yeah, I, uh, I I'm not bullish on their chances of making. All right, Jeff. Thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us tonight. A little bit of a a short notice interview. Can you let folks know where to find Locked On Indians and the rest of your work? Locked On Indians are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, you just type Locked On Indians, you'll find us. It's a great infrastructure. I don't. I just have to worry about posting, and they have me everywhere. So whatever you use, if you want to find out about the Indians, you can find me there. It's like all oh, Stitcher, iTunes, all that stuff. Um, that's not what I'm good at, so I'm very thankful to them for being able to do the infrastructure. In terms of my writing, I'm already starting to write a little for next year's baseball draft over on Scouting Baseball, which is on 24-7 Sports. Um, don't go to the main page because I am unable to figure out how you navigate from the main page to baseball. So Scouting Baseball, Jeff Ellis, that'll lead you to the site. I've uh, profiled the top two players in next year's draft. I'm working on the third, and they're just kind of quick, uh, less than a 1,000 words on why this is someone you should uh, pay attention to. Awesome, dude. Thanks so much for time. We really appreciate you coming on, and I guess we'll talk to you maybe in the offseason. Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, you know, Jeff's always full of good information. He caught me off guard a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm not sure by the time I get to edit on this podcast and how uh, it'll sound, but when he said hands-on versus hands-off and then explain the binders, I was like, Holy moly, is this what was going on? Jared, you are very familiar with the Angels system. How is the Angels system run now? He's not wrong. He, I'd say he's probably been around you know, the minor league system a little longer than I have. And uh, it's, it's, it's definitely true, you know. Uh, and, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it was tough. You know, the Angels didn't want to transition over into new school baseball quick enough. Um, and that's what everybody did you know that's why everybody that's why i feel like everybody is so far ahead of the angels right now that's why you look at the dodgers the astros the indians i mean i I think the astros are hiring nasa people from nasa now to help them out uh so it's just it's just kind of one of those things where i think the angels were a little bit behind and then once billy epler came in that was uh that was kind of the turning point where we saw a lot of new technologies in the minor leagues i mean just to name a few things, I, I, I've been down um, when the Angels are throwing bullpens uh, in Inland Empire minor leaguers, and they have cameras set up behind the bullpens. They have that little measure spin rate and uh, your your uh, velocity and how efficiently you're spinning the ball. And then this year was the first year that I really noticed that um, in game hitters are using this technology called blast motion uh the only place that i really saw it was with forum uh but i believe that they are also using that in uh, the arizona league and such like that because i talked to a few other minor leaguers and they said that they uh, were using that with them as well which is really cool uh, but yeah you know it's it's uh and blast motion is just, it kind of shows you your bat path uh how far or how well you hit the ball how, how efficiently you're swinging through the zone i think that's kind of what he meant and that 
as a hundred percent, I can almost guarantee you that's what was happening. And it's sometimes, and it happened with Clevenger. It's sometimes, you know, as a, uh, as a change of pace will really help you out. And it's, that's what happened with Clevenger. It helped him out so much. And he's uh, you know, borderline all-star every year. And he's been really good for the Indians. So yeah, you know, I, I can totally see that with Jeff. Well, this kind of gives us an idea of exactly, you know, I mean, as you know, like Joe fan like me who didn't know any of this stuff until I'm and I'm still learning every day how big of a hole Billy Epler had to dig out of. And he's still he's still oh, digging how deep the hole was. Wait, um, wait till you hear John. Just wait till you hear C.J. Wilson's part three of his of his interview. Oh, OK. When he yeah. talks about the analytics in the organization. It blew me away. Yeah. I can't get it out there. Uh, well, folks, they're not. Al- I will say they're not alone. I, I get the Reds uh, pro staff is quite advanced, but their minor leagues are. There's a reason the Reds. Um, if you look at their pitchers, if you have a, an issue when they got drafted, that it, like control issues stayed. If you're two home run, like they don't improve anything, and uh, the Indians have intentionally keep adding arms that the Reds let go because they think that. I mean, I haven't heard this directly, but it's pretty clear that they think they can get more out of the Reds pitchers than the Reds are able to. And the Reds have not developed anybody in years. I remember when Homer, Homer Bailey was brought up, and this was his big deal when they—he was like the next ace for the Reds, and he completely never became that. And they have—they always blend the ballpark down there. But you know, even hitters' ballparks. If you're a good pitcher, you're a good pitcher, man. <laughs> you can make things happen, and and uh, it's never happened for Cincinnati for, geez, fifteen years. When it comes to pitching, easy, fifteen years. It not, I mean, Robert Stevenson was a big name. Amir Garrett's working great out of the pen, but he was supposed to be a starter. Uh, it's it's really Tyler Molly. We'll still wait to see on, but it's it's the exact same thing time and time again. So it's interesting how these. Whereas the other side of things, it's like you never want to make a trade with the Astros because they seem to always see something and get something in advance. So yeah, it is, and that is the thing with the Angels. They were so backwards. I think. Personally, Apple's done a really good job rebuilding. Uh, I think he drafts really well. I like what they're doing, but I do know that there is frustration. So I'm kind of curious. Just talk. It's nice talking to you guys and seeing kind of that full picture. Can you yeah. just repeat that again? Maybe we can make it into a clip that <laughs> Apple's doing a good job. I, I, I think he is. We, we get we get strong up. We we have people with pitchforks chasing us every time we say that. I mean, Sandoval, who's pitching this weekend, and Suarez both. It's like. They were they've been there for a while, but it, it took a you know there was injuries and there's reasons. But it's nice that you guys. I mean, when was the last time arms came up through the system in Anaheim? I feel like or Anaheim in Los Angeles. Uh, I feel with the Angels, it's like they had to buy every starter or trade for every starter, and it's you talent is progressing through the system. And I, I don't know. I think they're. I, I like his moves and I like the development. I, when I wrote up my Angels top ten in the preseason, that was kind of a, wow, I'm amazed by the growth that has occurred from where this was. It's just going to take time. I mean, it's just... And Jared, you've talked a lot about that. It's taking time. It's basically rebuilding a a destroyed farm system. And, you know, some folks are... They got used to winning. They got used to winning down in... Man, I mean, from 2002 to 2015, this team won a lot of baseball games. But there was a price they paid. In the end, it was an empty farm system, and it filtered all the way up to the top where they didn't have anything to back them up. It is time for us to hit the road, folks, though. It love, love talking all these things. It could give us some insight into past, future, whatever. Matter of fact, this podcast started real light. We're 
chatting about Mike Trapp's toe, and we're talking about Shohei Otani losing his helmet, and then all of a sudden it gets ultra serious when we start talking about some of the issues in the farm system. So always tune in because we always have something for you. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Talking Halos. You can search for our page on Facebook as well as our group. Now, the Talking Halos group, you can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo. You can find John at Jason John. You can find Jared at Jared underscore Tim's. Don't forget us on Apple Music, Spreaker, everywhere. I'm serious. We're almost everywhere. Make sure you leave that review. We really appreciate it. So for John, Jared, and for Jeff, he stuck around. Have a great one, and we will talk to you midweek. We're out of here. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.